بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله حمد الشاكرين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد طب القلوب ودوائها ونور الأبصار وضيائها وعافية الأبدان وشفائها وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد كلما ذكرك الذاكرون وغفل عن ذكرك الغافلون The resistance in Palestine can be won without acknowledging the terms of the enemy with that one sentence, I can finish my talk and leave. Because it encapsulates and encompasses the weaknesses that some Muslims reflect their own internal weakness upon the resistance. That the weakness that is felt with regard to Palestine is felt because those people who feel this weakness are attempting to resist on the terms of the enemy. And this also encapsulates our subject, Al-Aqsa and the Jal's New World Order. That if you fought and resisted at the Jal, the false messiah, on his terms, then you will feel the weakness of Iman, weakness of faith, weakness of material means, asbab, weakness of any facilitation of being able to achieve victory. That we as Muslims will never achieve victory if we fight and resist on the terms of the enemy. That if the resistance was to continue a Dajjalic system, a Dajjalic system, the term Dajjal is from Dajjal, which is deception. And this is why Dijla, the Tigris River, is referred to as Dijla from the same root, because the Tigris River covers land, and the way deception covers the truth, the water is covering the land. So the river is even referred to as Dijla, the Tigris River. So at Dajjal is deception. That if you have deception in the negotiations of a two-state solution, and you continue on the terms of the enemy, then you are destined to fail. But once you understand that the terms themselves are Dajjalic, are a deception, then the first step to victory has been taken. So Al-Aqsa and the emancipation of the city of Jerusalem, the first step is an intellectual step. 
is an intellectual war and we become soldiers of the intellect that we understand the deception that if we fought for a Palestinian state and then that Palestinian state in turn is only a secular democracy that takes loans from the IMF then all those children that have lost their eyes when an Israeli bullet or a pellet from the guns is shot into their eyes and they become blind and maimed through Israeli, uh, Israeli rubber bullets then all of that was in vain because the purpose of the resistance is not on the terms of the enemy and the terms of the enemy was summed up by Jared Kushner, the son-in-law of the former president of the US, Donald Trump, when he said that the Palestinians should accept the settlement, the settlement that was designed by Kushner and the Trump administration, they should accept this and live like everyone else paying their monthly mortgages. This tells us with regard to the Dajjalic system that when I say Al-Aqsa and Dajjal's New World Order, Dajjal's New World Order is the material and capitalist way of life that we feel every day. Capitalism and materialism has become the goal of many Muslims who have been enticed by Dajjal's New World Order. Unlike the companions of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam who lived for the Akhirah, the hereafter, they lived in order that they attain Rida Allah, the divine pleasure of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Their politics revolved around carrying out the divine command. But today, when we as Muslims embody the Jal's New World Order, which is the deceptive New World Order, which is materialism, capitalism, when we embody this, then we become cowards. And the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam mentioned in a hadith narrated by Imam Abu Dawood in his Sunan that when you take hold Aghnab al-Baqri the tails of the cows meaning cows uh, a signification with regard to material wealth when you give more importance to material wealth and you abandon struggling in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the hadith states that you become harrafeen, farmers meaning giving more importance to agriculture and material things Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sallatallahu alaykum aduwakum Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shall place your enemies over you and you shall face 
Villa. Villa is what disgrace in the worldly life. So, this hadith narrated by Imam Abu Dawood is telling us that when we give more importance to material wealth over the akhirah, the hereafter, the result of that for Muslims is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will place their enemies over them and they will be disgraced in the worldly life. This is referred to as Sunnatullahi fil kawn, the divine law of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the universe. Additionally, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu told us with regard to the period that we are facing currently, which is known as Marhalatul Ghutha, the period of Al Ghutha, which is the froth, the froth that forms on the sea, that in the end of times, the enemies of Islam shall encompass the Muslims in such a way that the likeness of which is when people gather over a platter of food in order to consume from the platter of food. The nations shall gather. Al-Umam. And notice, United Nations is known as Al-Umam Al-Muttahida. And they sit around a round table, literally. When in the early 1900s, the Khilafah was... Uh, opposed by the Allied forces and eventually dismantled from 1914 to 1918 in what is referred to as World War I, but what is meant is the first Kafir war. In that war, the war cabinet, which from 1916 was led by David Lloyd George, who was a Zionist, Christian Zionist, the, and Britain alone had stationed over one million troops. One million troops in order to counter Germany and the Muslims, the Ottoman Khilafah. Over one million troops. And then in the Sykes-Pico Accord where they divided the Muslim lands, they literally divided the lands the way a people share food on a platter. But the Messenger of Allah foretold this period of time. And this period of time is referred to as Marhalatul Ghutha, the period of time of Al Ghutha which precedes Al Dajjal, precedes the appearance of Al Mahdi. And the companions Ali Muridwan said, Will it be because we will number so less, we will be so few in that time? The Messenger of Allah said, You will be many. But your likeness will be like the likeness of froth which forms on the sea when you have amwaj, which is waves, and the froth which is formed. The froth has no substance, unlike the water. The water has substance, but the froth has no substance. The Muslims will have no substance. So the companions Ali Muridwan, when they asked, will it be because of less numbers? The Messenger of Allah told us, meaning the Muslims for the future, that what will be the underlying reason? The underlying reason will be hubbud dunya, love of the world, hubbud dunya, and dislike of death, meaning a dislike of the hereafter. When the companions Ali Muridwan, they were the opposite. They preferred the hereafter to the worldly life. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them victory. 
But when the Muslims love the dunya more than they love the akhirah, the scales turn. They neither have the dunya and they lose out on the akhirah also. So hubbu dunya, love of the world, is the Dajjalic way. Why is it the Dajjalic way? Dajjal represents materialism. Dajjal represents capitalism. Because Dajjal will incite people through material wealth. Dajjal is blind in one eye. Why is he blind in one eye? Because he has no perceptiveness, depth. People with two eyes can see with depth. Someone with one eye cannot have perceptiveness. So a Dajjal will also have only one outlook, which is the material outlook, the material benefit. And this is why when a Dajjal appears, he will go to the Bedouin areas where people live a rural lifestyle and he will entice those people through rain. Material goods, rain, because rain produces the, the crops, gives the uh, agriculture, uh, these, uh, the wheat and the barley and the food, and through camels, reviving people's dead camels. Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu, informing us with regard to the appearance of a Dajjal, informs us in a hadith narrated by Imam Al-Tabarani, one of the famous hadith scholars, Ahmad bin Sulaiman, rahimahullah ta'ala, who died in the year 360, has three famous hadith collections, Al-Tabarani. That prior to Ad-Dajjal appearing, there will be years of famine. In one hadith, the famines are mentioned as being in the first year, one-third of the rain will be withheld. In the second year, two-thirds of the rain will be withheld. In the final year, all rain will be withheld. Informing us of the environmental destruction or the environmental change that will occur. In one hadith, it states that the end of times, one of the signs is that the summers shall turn into winters and winters shall turn into summers. But a change in the environment which is occurring, that the droughts, they will occur. And in one hadith of Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the droughts shall last five years to the extent that the shrubbery and the greenery shall become like ash and the camels will die. And a Dajjal appears in this period of time when people have less material wealth, but at the same time they have attachment to material wealth. So a Dajjal's new world order represents the capitalism that we observe. The environmental destruction, the plundering of resources without regard of the natural environment. If they find, if capitalists and corporations find any materials or any natural resource, natural minerals 
in the depths of the earth, they plunder those natural resources without any regard for the nature surrounding the resources that they are plundering. Without any regard for rivers, without any regard for the seas, without any regard of the ponds, without any regard of all water sources. And water conservation now, Israel is one of the leading states in water con conservation in the Middle East and the world. Why? Because they are aware of the water scarce, scarcity and shortages, especially in what is known as the Middle East. The term Middle East was coined in the early 1900s. Prior to that, people would refer to it as the East or the Near East. But in the Middle East, there are water shortages. And wherever water is found in Palestinian territory, the Israeli government ensures that they occupy the water sources in that region. And this is the system of a Dajjal, ensuring that they take the resources and affect those who fall under the lower echelons of society. But Muslims will only gain victory when they have a non-materialistic outlook with regard to their problem. So what I stated at the beginning, that you can never negotiate on their terms, you must negotiate on your own terms. Now some people say, we are too weak to negotiate on our own terms. The only thing you are weak in is weakness of Iman. Weakness of Iman, faith. Why do I say weakness of Iman? The Quran describes the, the kafir system as being likened to the web of a spider. The flimsiness of a spider's web. That the kafir system is not a strong system in front of Ahlul Iman, the people of Iman. When people have strong Iman, strong faith, they will become like those companions. When they fought the Persian armies, the Persians, their swords were tall, long swords. The Arabs had short swords. The Persians wore armor, steel armor. And the Arabs, they had no armor. But when the Persians, they fought the armies, dispatched by Sayyiduna Umar, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, at one point they demanded to speak to a representative of the companions, alayhi muridwan. So they sent, dispatched a companion from amongst the ranks of the army that was stationed in Iraq at the time as the Persians were ruling Iraq. When the companion arrived in the tent of the Persian king, he observed firstly that in the tent, the Persian king had lines of men on both ends, on the right and the left, bowing to the king throughout the course of the meeting. 
The companion walks through the tent with a spear. Now, the Persian king had the tent draped with expensive materials, an expensive carpet, embroidery which the Persians are well renowned for. The companion عنه, had a long spear and he over upturned the spear with a sharp end at the bottom and walked while walking on the carpet. He kept while walking, the, there were tears being made in the carpet. And he went and sat next to the Persian king, which was against the ritual and the custom of the Persians. The Persian king did not admonish the companion. He permitted him to sit. And he said to him, what do you Arabs want from us? What do you want from us? The companion عن, pointed at the men who were bowing down to the king at all instances, said to take man from the worship of man, take him away from the worship of man to the worship of the creator of man. Why? Because the message of Islam is to emancipate. It means Islam is submission to whom? Not submission to Muslims, submission to the Creator. This embodiment was the embodiment of the companions Ali Muridwan, and this is why in Surah Al Isra, in the opening verses of Surah Al Isra, if you read verse 1 to 8, you will find that the people who will emancipate Al-Quds Sharif will be those people who realize their ubudiyah servitude to Allah. Like the way the companions Ali Muridwan realized their servitude to Allah, that when the Muslims return back to servitude to Allah, they will be given victory. How do we realize this servitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? That firstly, the armies of the companions Ali Muridwan when they were stationed in Iraq and Syria, some of the generals, they wrote letters back to Sayyiduna Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu and they said, at night, the battalions are heard buzzing like the buzzing of bees. Why were they buzzing like the buzzing of bees? Because they were reciting Quran throughout the night. And in the day, they are like lions. And this was the state of the companions, Ali Muridwan, that when a person would make an appointment in the city of Al Madinatul Munawwara, sometimes they would say, I will meet you during Sa'atul Quran. What is Sa'atul Quran? The hour of the Quran. What did they mean by this? Because people at Maghrib time would open up their Mus'haf, their volume of the Quran, and recite the Quran out aloud, that the entire streets in Al Madinatul Munawwara would be buzzing and emanating with the sounds of the Quran. They would go out in the streets and young men when they would make an appointment they will say I will meet you during the hour of the Quran because at Maghrib time the Quran would be recited everywhere. When you replace that with people instead of opening their Quran 
they are on Facebook, they are on Twitter, they are on YouTube, they are on television, they are on Netflix, and all these various entertainments, these frivolous forms of entertainment, then through that frivolity, Muslims will never achieve victory. Victory will only be achieved by serious people. That when we become a nation of Quran reciters, when we become a nation of Ubad, those who realize their servitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us victory. But if we are playing card games, computer games by night, and in the day fighting for a secular nationalist cause, or not fighting at all, acquiescing to politicians and acquiescing to those who are despots, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not give us victory. So at the Jal's New World Order, as it relates to Al-Aqsa, Al-Aqsa al-Sharif represents the state of the Muslim world, represents our current state. And when the state changes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us victory. And this occurred in the past and it will always occur in the future. When Sultan Nuruddin Zangi rahimallahu ta'ala, who was from amongst those leaders who recognized his ubudiyya servitude to Allah, he had a pulpit constructed made from one piece of wood. So one piece of wood from one piece of wood in Damascus, the artisans, they chiseled out a member. And he said from this constructed member, I will place this member, a piece of art, in Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa when we emancipate Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa. He passed away before that, but a sultan Salahuddin al-Ayyubi, when he conquered Jerusalem, he had the pulpit placed in Al-Masjid al-Aqsa. The pulpit was in the masjid up until 1969, when an Australian Christian Zionist carried out an act of arson and burnt the pulpit. He burnt the pulpit. This spiritually represented the decline of the Muslim resistance to Zionism, spiritually. Because Nuruddin Zengi was the first emancipator of Jerusalem, meaning indirectly, Sultan Salahuddin was from amongst his protégés, and he conquered Jerusalem. So the burning down of the minbar is symbolic of the Muslim weakness. But weakness in what terms? Not material weakness. We have no material weakness. And this is why it was said that even if the Muslim nations only gave 10% of their artillery to the resistance in Palestine, we could all pray Salatul Fajr in Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa within a week. There is no material weakness. The weakness that we embody is the spiritual weakness. We embody a spiritual weakness that our Iman is weak, our faith is weak. And this is 
in contradistinction to those who had strong faith. And the weakness of faith is exactly what the Dajjalic New World Order represents and embodies. Weakness of faith. That when a Dajjal appears, firstly, because most people worship material wealth, a Dajjal will be a material god. So people who worship matter, materialists, prefer a material god, a god that has a body who is contained within time and place, that has limbs, an anthropomorphic god. While in Islam, we worship a transcendent god. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bears no resemblance to creation. There is nothing like him, yet he is all hearing and all seeing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not composed of parts. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not have physical limbs, material limbs or appendages. Therefore, because people have imbibed a materialistic outlook on their lives, when a Dajjal appears post the period of Imam al-Mahdi, many of the people will still be in the camp of a Dajjal. And the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam informed us with regard to that period when the Muslims will be divided into two camps. The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam stated that a fitna in a hadith also narrated by Imam Abu Dawood that a tribulation shall occur under the feet of a man who claims to be from my household. And the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam informs us that every attaqi God-weary person is from his household. Meaning, if someone is from the prophetic household, if they do not embody the prophetic characteristics, and if they do not embody the God-weariness, then they can also become a, a source of fitna tribulation. This man, we are told that from underneath his feet, a smoke, dukhan, a tribulation shall start. And after which people shall make alliances, like the hip bone, hip bone, on a rib bone, meaning a weak alliance, the weakness of those bones. Until the tribulations touch the heart of every Muslim, and then the hearts will be divided into two camps. In another hadith, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam tells us with regard to tribulations that they come down udan udan. Udan udan is like a straw, one straw at a time. Why a straw? Because sometimes when they make mats, prayer mats, or mats in general, they use a, they intertwine straws. Intertwine straws. So the way straws are intertwined, the fit and the tribulation shall be like straws on the heart, meaning leaving dark streaks on the heart. And when a person does not repent, does not turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, eventually the heart becomes totally dark. And this is mentioned in the Quran, Kalla The ran in the Quran mentioned, the tafsir is the hadith, 
that the tribulations come down until the heart is hardened unless the person repents to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They become dark and hardened. And then those who have the clear hearts, they shall be in the right camp. And those who have the hard hearts, the darkened hearts, will be in the Dajjali camp. The camp of materialism, the camp of capitalism, the camp that has tafakhur, boastfulness of material gain, capitalistic gain, living only for a capitalistic lifestyle. What is capitalistic lifestyle? Where you have no concern about what is around you, what surrounds you, where it is selfishness dictates your lifestyle. Like landlords who may overcharge their tenants without a care for the tenants, without a care for those tenants they place in the house, like these new HMOs, some of the, our community people have a capitalistic outlook. What do they do? They buy multiple properties, place people in the properties without a care for the tenants and without a care for the people living on the road. A materialistic, capitalistic outlook. Without a care for the environment, like in uh, without, by throwing rubbish on the roads. If you just look at Pakistan, India and Bangladesh alone, the Indian subcontinent and wherever people from the Indian subcontinent, wherever they settle, the disregard of the environment. Why is the disregard? Because of the capitalist outlook, the materialistic outlook. It's not a Islamic spiritual outlook. It has a Dajjalic aspect to it because Dajjal represents materialism. Dajjal represents the capitalist outlook. So therefore, Dajjal's New World Order and Al-Aqsa, the victory is only gained when we have the true Islamic outlook. The victory is only gained when we become ibad, servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, those who recognize their ubudiyah servitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like Sayyiduna Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. With regard to Sayyiduna Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, when he was victorious in conquering Al-Quds al-Sharif, the city has only ever been conquered by two Muslims. Firstly, Sayyiduna Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And secondly, Sultan Salahuddin al-Ayyubi. So if there is a third leader who will be victorious in conquering Al-Quds al-Sharif, he must model himself on those leaders. He must model himself on Sayyiduna Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And he must model himself on Salahuddin al-Ayyubi rahimallahu ta'ala and his instructor Nuruddin Zengi rahimallahu ta'ala. Sayyiduna Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhum, when he conquered the city of Jerusalem, and the story is well known, Khalid bin Thabit, different to Khalid bin Al-Walid radiallahu ta'ala anhum, Khalid bin Thabit was a tabi'i, a successor. He was sent to Al-Jabiyah, which is now known as the Golan Heights, which belongs to Syria, occupied by Israel. From the Golan Heights, the Muslims entered the direction 
Jerusalem. The priests and the bishop of Jerusalem agreed to hand over the keys of the city to the Muslims on the condition that the leader of the Muslims enters the city, meaning the caliph Sayyiduna Umar So a letter was dispatched by the generals like Abu Ubaidah When Sayyiduna Umar receives the letter, he takes consultation and he decides to travel to Jerusalem via Al-Jabiyya. The story is famous, he takes a camel and I've mentioned this many times, he takes one camel from the Baytul Mal, the public treasury, and the one servant, and he and the servant share the camel. <coughs> Meaning, lack of attachment to material wealth. Can you imagine a ruler today sharing the car with those who, who work for him? And this also tells us with regard to the despicable behavior of Muslims when they reach a position of power. Only look at your local MPs when they are Muslim. How despicable they are. Do not vote these MPs only because they have brown skin and happen to be Muslim. Always elect people on their merits. If we believe democracy, should, uh, we should participate in democracy. But there is a way of protesting against democracy by not voting also. If you have a majority, overwhelming majority that doesn't vote, it's a form of protest also. Remember this. But nevertheless, don't vote someone just because they happen to have brown skin and have the name Khan or uh, Hussein or whatever. This is not a merit alone. But when Muslims reach a position of power, they should never denigrate those whom they deem underneath themselves. Because we know Sayyidul Qawmi Khadimuhum, the leader of a people is their servant. So Sayyiduna Umar anhu reaches the boundary of Jerusalem. Before reaching the boundary of Jerusalem, there is a lake or a body of water that he must cross. By the time he reaches the horizon and the delegation is waiting for him, a Christian and Muslim delegation, they observe that a man is approaching the city. He arrived from the direction of Jabal al-Mukabbir, which is known as the mountain of Takbir, because when he entered from that mountain, he saw the beauty of the city of Jerusalem and did Takbir. He said, Allahu Akbar. They see, Sayyid, observe Sayyidina Umar an entering while the servant is on the camel and Sayyidina Umar an is pulling the reins. When he enters the body of water, he removes his leather socks and he walks barefoot into the water, placing his leather socks on his shoulders. This is narrated in the Mustadrak of Imam al-Hakim and others. One of the companions, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, rushed forward in order to inform Sayyiduna Umar radiallahu anhu not to do this. Why? Because the people of the city of J Jerusalem were an urban people 
as one of the oldest civilizations on the face of the earth and they were not accustomed to such things so the companion informed Sayyiduna Umar anhu of this and Sayyiduna Umar anhu said if it were other than you I would have made an example of them why? and he said his famous statement we are a people that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us exaltation in the earth has given us victory on the earth with Islam with what? Islam. Islam. The day we seek victory from with other than Islam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will disgrace us. So the day the Arabs seek victory through Arab nationalism, the day Arabs seek victory through democratic means, or the, way, the day when we keep seeking the help of the UN in Kashmir, for 70 years, Kashmiri activists, some of them, in interviews always mention the UN General Assembly. When we become beggars with beggar bowls in front of the IMF and the World Bank and the UN and its various branches, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will disgrace us. But when we realize our servitude to Allah, how do we realize our servitude to Allah? Aside from abandoning materialistic outlook on life, a materialistic way of observing things, we have a spiritual way of observing things, but we have the collection of zakat and distribution, fair distribution of zakat by the rulers. Imagine if countries, Muslim countries, just the leaders collected zakat for two years and fairly distributed the zakat alone. When we implement what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded us to implement in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shall give us victory and the material means shall be made. An example, As-Sultan Nuruddin Zangi rahmallahu ta'ala once had as a captive a prince from the Europeans. This is how the Arab accounts mention the person who was taken as a prisoner, as a captive. In European accounts, they may refer to him as a prominent knight. When he was taken as a captive, as Sultan Nuruddin Zengi Ta'ala consulted his Majlis Sushura, his body for consulting uh, political decisions, and he said, in his view, he believed that the prisoner should be released for a ransom. And with the ransom money, he had some public, uh, he had a plan to to donate that money for public welfare, for a public cause. The Majlis Shura, they said they disagree with Sultan Nuruddin, Rahimullah. They said this man is dangerous. He was like 
the Netanyahu of the time. They said the man is dangerous. If we release him, he will harm the Muslims even more. So as Sultan Nurdin Zengi ta'ala, now the point of mentioning this anecdote, a true story, is the reliance, firm reliance on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, strong iman, and yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created for this leader asbab, material means. Because people see a clash between what they uh, say in Pakistan, that there is a clash between the Mulvis and the politicians in Pakistan, a divided country. They say there is a clash between the Mulvis and the politicians. The politicians understand politics. The Mulvis always emphasize the religious aspects. There is no synthesis between the two. But this story demonstrates that there must be a synthesis between the two. The politicians must learn Islam and the Mulvis must learn geopolitics. It's an essential. So, what does Nuruddin Zengi ta'ala do? He prays Salatul Istikhara in the night and he releases the prince or the knight for a ransom. He receives the ransom money. But look how the outcome is good. When he releases, releases the knight, the knight reaches the region of the Crusaders, which was in modern-day Palestine. So cities like Acre and other cities, they were occupied by Crusaders. When he reaches the Crusader castles, he dies by the will of Allah through natural causes. So both things were achieved. He receives the ransom money and the Majlis Shura, the body of consultation can, cannot complain that this man will harm us because he died anyhow. So the decision of Nuruddin Zengi Taala was decisive in the worldly terms, but also decisive in the spiritual terms. And when you have rulers like Nuruddin Zengi Taala, you will have victory. So, Sultan Nuruddin Zengi Taala established also Darul Adl. Darul Adl. Darul Adl was a court, a mahkama, established in Damascus, in the city of Damascus, which was his capital, where people could bring their cases for injustices. And once a week he would lead the, the court, meaning preside over the cases himself and give direct judgments. Unlike the Western system where we have here in the Western world pro prolonged cases. The cases will go on for six months to a year, for two years. The correct Islamic judiciary system is efficient and quick. Rather than dragging on the cases, the judgment is given very quickly. So he established Darul Adl, a place of justice. But he also established the rule of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When he succeeded his father, he only ruled, and this is another example of a successful ruler. The type of ruler that will emancipate Al-Quds Sharif. When he succeeded his father, he only ruled one city, which was the city of Aleppo, Halab. As soon as his father passed away, he was a Turk himself, 
and Salahuddin was a Kurd. Note, Nuruddin Zangi is a Turk. Salahuddin is a Kurd. The majority of the citizens are Arabs, yet there was Islamic unity. What we refer today as pan-Islamic unity, no nationalism. If there was no nationalism, you wouldn't have had the divide between Bangladesh and Pakistan. Because if they had made the right decisions from the inception of Pakistan, language would not have been a cause of division. Majority seats based on ethnic lines would not have been a cause of division if the mindset was based on Islam. So when Nurdin Zengi inherited the city, he firstly, the ministers, many of them fled because they thought he, he was young. So they thought he will be a weak leader and there will be chaos. He took the ring of his father and he took, he seized control of the city. With the remaining body of ministers, he had consultation with regard to Sharia law. And remember, many of our nations today, nation states, nation states that were made after the dissolving of the Caliphate and the dissolving of the Mughal Empire. Nation states were made based on ethnic lines with flags which were also created by the Sykes-Picot Accord. Like even the Palestinian flag or the Syrian flag, those colors represent Arab nationalism. They represent Arab nationalism. The red represents a dynasty, the black represents a dynasty like Banu Abbas, uh, past Arab glories. And these were made by Mark Sykes who died in 1919 from the Spanish influenza. But he was the one who divided the, the map that we see today from the Ottoman Caliphate. So, Nurdin Zengi Ta'ala consulted the people. He said, shall I implement Islamic Hudud? Islamic Hudud. Now today people are frightened of the word Hudud which is the corporal punishments of Islam. But in reality, the corporal punishments of Islam are lighter than many laws in America, for instance, as punishments, because the restrictions are so many. For instance, the had cannot be applied in battle, in civil war. The hadith, the hands are not severed in, uh, during wars. For instance, there's so many restrictions. So he consulted them and they said, do not implement the hudud. Why? They said, implement more harsh punishments than the hudud. Because the crime rate has increased in Halab, in Aleppo. So Nuruddin Zengi Ta'ala wrote to his sheikh, his guide, Sheikh Umar Al-Malla who was based in the city of Hims where Sayyiduna Khalid bin Al-Walid is buried. When he wrote to him, Sheikh Umar Al-Malla wrote back saying, whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has legislated for us is sufficient. Meaning do not add anything. 
Additionally, we do not need more harsh laws. So some people, they add castration and other things. The reality is the hudud are sufficient. So, Sultan Nuruddin Zengi Ta'ala, when he received the letter, he ascended the pulpit in Halab. At that time, he had not conquered Damascus. And he read out the letter. Prior to reading out the letter of a Sheikh Umar al-Mallah, he said this letter is in response to, in fact, the story goes, the, the, the story is even more intriguing. When he wrote the letter to a Sheikh Umar al-Mallah, a Sheikh Umar al-Mallah who was a Zaid ascetic, he agreed with the ministers. And he wrote back to a Sultan Nuruddin and he said that implement additional laws. So a Sultan Nuruddin wrote back to a Sheikh Umar al-Mallah saying whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has legislated is sufficient. And a Sheikh Umar al-Mallah ascended the pulpit of Hims and said this was the letter from the Sheikh to the ruler. The Sheikh gave the wrong advice and the ruler corrected the Sheikh. I mean, the story is more intriguing that the ruler was so pious that he was correcting his own sheikh. Then what happened? Within a few years, through the blessings of being a just ruler, the empire of Nuruddin Zengi increased to such a degree that it included Damascus, it included Egypt, it included the Arabian Peninsula and it included Yemen from one city through the barakah of implementing the law of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This was the person who led the resistance against the crusaders. What additional things did he do? He abolished all the forms of taxation that existed, unjust forms of taxation, and only implemented the Islamic taxations. Islamic taxation is what? Collection of zakat, collection of sadaqat, collection of kharaj, land tax, collection of al-ushr, which is also a form of agricultural tax, import tax, and the various Islamic taxes. And what did he do? He distributed the wealth amongst the population. What is the law in Islam? That distribution of the wealth of the Baytul Mal is done within one year. You cannot accumulate and not distribute. The distribution must be done in order that the wealth circulates in the economy, regenerates the economy. How will an economy regenerate if the public do not have money? How can they spend? How can the markets flourish if there is no wealth being spent? And this happened in the time of Umar bin Abdul Aziz, who ruled from the year 99 to the year 101. What happened? He only ruled for two and a half years. Now sometimes I reflect on why did he only rule for two and a half years? One day the answer dawned upon me that today there are some rulers in the world who say we have insufficient time because of the corruption.
they say we have insufficient time because of the corruption it dawned upon me that there was no one more corrupt than the Banu Umayyah prior to Umar bin Abdul Aziz with the odd exceptions meaning who could be more corrupt than Yazid who can be more corrupt than Hajjaj bin Yusuf who could be more corrupt than some of the rulers that they had Yet within two and a half years, Umar bin Abdul Aziz reformed the entire politics of the area. Additionally, some people say, oh, how can we reform a country so big, so huge? But your country is not as big as the Caliphate at that time, which extended from Afghanistan all the way to modern day Morocco. Your country is not so huge does not cover such a landmass. So this was the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only giving Umar bin Abdul Aziz two and a half years to rule. And what happened? Within those two and a half years, he abolished all the taxes that the Bani Umayyah were levying against the people and only implemented Islamic law. By implementing Islamic law, he localized the tax of the zakat, localized the zakat collections and within the localities municipalities of those regions the zakat was sufficient in fact it overflowed in one region i think in asfahan or these regions which is modern day iran he wrote to the governor he said check if there is any wealth distributed amongst the people he said we have distributed the wealth and there is still money left he said okay find every blind person and have the have a guide appointed for them to take them around the marketplaces or wherever they need to go and pay them a wage they did this and they said there is still more wealth and he kept finding causes to give the zakat to in that one region meaning the zakat of one region was not redistributed in another region this was the blessings Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala placed. I mean, what I mean to say is that when rulers implement the law of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I'm not saying that they, they become ignorant of geopolitics, history, and how the world is, uh, who rules the world, meaning not being totally unfamiliar of these things is, is uh, illiteracy. But at the same time, they, they must have strong faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to do the correct thing. One final story with regard to Umar bin Abdul Aziz, rahimahullah ta'ala, was that in Egypt, there was a woman who wrote to him, an African black woman, showing that Islam should not have the race problem at least theoretically and practically by real Muslims. She wrote a letter saying that the walls of my backyard are too short that people break in and they steal my chickens. She wrote to the Caliph. Imagine a Caliphate from modern day Afghanistan all the way to Morocco, such a huge expanse of land. The letter reaches Umar bin Abdul Aziz. He writes to the governor of Egypt and he, he commands him, you must construct the wall of the woman high enough that no one can climb over the wall. But not only this, 
You must go yourself and construct the, hand, the wall with your own bare hands. And this was carried out, implemented. Today, people talk about the difficulty of implementing simple things. What difficulty is there if Pakistan and Turkey placed only 500 troops in the West Bank under the UN resolution that the West Bank belongs to the Palestinian authorities and with agreement with the Palestinian authorities they place those Muslim troops as a peacekeeping force. A simple move. Yet there are people who will say we are too weak to even do this. A simple political move. Meaning, if Pakistan aligns with Turkey and they say we are only placing 500 troops for peacekeeping. A simple political move. There are some who will say I am being politically naive or ignorant. But I believe this is a simple move. But only weakness of Iman has led to this situation. That we acquiesce to the power system and we are confronting and battling the power system on the terms of the power system. When in reality we should utilize our own terms. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide the Muslim rulers to do what is correct to increase our Iman and to enable us to pray our five daily prayers, to increase our recitation of the Quran, to increase dhikrullah, remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to detach ourselves from the love of material wealth and to attach ourselves to the Akhirah, to learn about the Akhirah, the hereafter, about the grave and about Jannah and Jahannam and the Ashratu Sa'ad, the signs of the end of times, and Islamic governance and Islamic law, and to learn our religion and correct faith and Iman, and protect us from atheism, protect us from secularism, protect us from the Dajjalic power system. Aqulu qawli hadha wa astaghfirullah li wa atubu ilayh.